0: When it comes to marketing, it's very, very rare that there is a must of anything. You know, very, very frequently it's test it, you know, <laughs> yeah. just test it because yeah. we can. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast, the only podcast that brings you unfiltered, undaunted,
1: Well, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today in studio, I've got joining me, Skip Fedura. Now, I met Skip through the Only Influencers uh, Email Marketing Group. Skip is a speaker. He is an author, and he's a board-level marketer, and he works with both uh, B2C and B2B in a variety of industries. Uh, He has a deep technical background. Uh, Skip recently was uh, working with a company called DotMailer. He was there for about nine years, and now he's working as a fractional CMO. So he offers companies the ability to get a piece of his deep knowledge and experience in digital marketing, email marketing, SEO, social uh, marketing, as well as integrated marketing. So I'd like to welcome Skip to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. Well, hey, Skip, welcome to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. How are you? I'm great, Doug. Thanks for having me. Super excited to have you on the podcast today and uh, show off your superpower so you can, by the end of the podcast, all our listeners will have all their sales and marketing problems solved. That's amazing uh okay you've just set the bar really high well i mean i asked you what your superpower was and and you you said uh before we started recording that you were going to actually fly that was your superpower and I, I didn't think that would work well on the uh, on the podcast being it's not visual so we thought we'd uh, come up with something a little simpler like it i like it yeah flying flying is um not good for radio <laughs> no, although someone did tell me that I had I I, I look good um, as a podcaster. I have a face for podcasting, not necessarily broadcast. So you, you work where you where you're planted. Yeah, I I disagree. I think you're a fine looking man. Well, thanks so much. So uh, let's get uh, let's get into it. I mean, we connected through the Only Influencers group, and you are a uh, marketing professional speaker, author, and expert. And uh, one of the conversations that we had was around your role now as a fractional CMO. So do you want to take just a couple of minutes and uh, give people a snapshot of your background and what you're doing? Yeah, I would. Actually, that's great.
0: Um, so a fractional CMO, fractional is really just part-time, rebranded. So as, as a proper CMO should, first thing I did was, was rebrand. <laughs> and, you know, I, I work with companies uh, that need a senior marketing leader but can't afford one full-time. You know, the way I describe it is think of me as the net jets for CMOs. So just like with net jets, shared ownership helps you mitigate the risk and wasted expense of owning a jet. Uh, my fractionality allows me to mitigate the risk and cost to the companies I work for of hiring a CMO, but actually it, it goes one step further because it helps reduce waste or wasted expense as well. Um, one of the things when you work fractionally or work part-time, you have to be really laser focused and this is going to sound cynical. I probably shouldn't have started quite, quite so cynically, but (laughs) you know, when you have a meeting, you know, there, there are these one, two, three day long sessions. You know any of those kind of planning meetings or let's get all the senior leadership together and kick ideas around or or just navel gaze you know you don't go when you're working part-time you, you're really ruthless in how you evaluate how your time is going to be used right so sure. you you know am i going to add value to this meeting yes is this meeting going to impact the marketing function yes if both of these things are yes you go to the meeting if either one is not yes and you can be briefed by somebody else who will be at the meeting, you swerve it. So actually, you end up in, in terms of for being, you know, I tend to work with smaller companies, you know, they're getting however much of my time they're, they're paying for, they're getting, it, it's full production. It's not, you know, there's sometimes when you hire a full-time person, it's easy to forget that, you know, since they're there all the time, It's, it's easy to forget that if they're sitting in a meeting or, or, you know, doing something like that, that's not necessarily the best, you're getting the best value for money out of that.
1: Well, I think the other side of that too is, you know, I've often seen situations, whether it's a not-for-profit or for-profit business, where you bring somebody in full-time before you need them full-time. And so, you know, to not to carry on the cynical approach, but what I what I think is that people will always fill their time, you know, fill their day. So if you've got somebody there for eight hours, they will find something to do for eight hours. The problem is that when you actually need them now to do eight hours worth of productive work, they need an assistant because you've trained them to to take a four-hour job and make it into an 8 hour job. So it makes a lot of sense, I think, to, to look at fractional positions in your company as you're growing and scaling to get the the most uh, production that you can.
0: Yeah. And it's a, it's an interesting kind of pivot point because when you're really small, you actually hire people who are a bit more generalist or, 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 you know, have, have skills in a wider variety of, of categories because you can't afford to hire a bunch of people. So you need one person that can do four or five things. Right, As you start to get bigger and you want people that can specialize, yeah, what you said is bang on true. People will fill their day. And once they've started to fill their day, either you've trained them to do that or actually you've trained the rest of the company to rely on that, right? We can always rely on Skip's going to come to this meeting because he always comes to this meeting. Does he add value to the meeting? Everybody believes he does, right? Even probably him. I'm talking about myself in the third person, which is a bit weird, um, but, you know, but if you take a step back and you say, okay, what value are you adding to the meeting? And, and could that value be delivered some other way? That's when you start to see, oh, ah, yeah, actually, this is not probably the most efficient way for me to spend my my day.
1: Well, and it's interesting because as you start to scale a business, I remember uh, when I scaled my business and uh, one of the first people that we hired as a fractional and a fractional position was a, was a CFO. And what I learned very quickly was that although we had a bookkeeper and we had an accountant and a financial controller in, inside the company, when you hire somebody like you're talking about, like yourself, that, who's at the, kind of the top of their game, even though it wasn't a full-time position, the, the impact and the speed at which we could execute and, and, and cover the things that you need as you're growing, as you're growing and scaling your business, one of the things you need is, you know, at least in my, my business as an agency and a media buyer, is we needed access to like a, a lot of cash because you know you can only pay down your your credit card it takes every two days before it gets a gets the payment to show up and when you're spending hundred thousand dollars or 150 thousand dollars a day on Google, that's not acceptable. And so he very quickly came in and and just addressed that and and nobody on the team I don't think could have put that uh, you know made that happen.
0: It's funny you mentioned fractional CFO because that is probably where fractionality, at least from a business standpoint really started. And you see that a lot you know a lot of companies don't need a full-time CFO. And, you know, CFOs also don't have to be on site and present to, to get a lot of work done. They spend a lot of time, you know, in spreadsheets, which can be done sort of anywhere. And, and you're right. It's, I look at every day, you know, what value have I added and both immediate value and and potential long-term value. And if I, you know, if I go home at the end of the day and I've delivered a lot more value than, than cost to that business, you know,
1: I'm pretty happy. So what's the what's the pivot point then? I mean, so when you come into a company and you, I mean, we'll go deeper into what you're what you're doing, but when they actually will move into a um, uh, maybe a full time CFO role or CMO role, would you actually help them with that transition and and get that position set up? I would, and I, I'm not necessarily going to say I wouldn't
0: take it if the opportunity was right. How this came about for me was, you know, as, as many of your listeners are going to know, I, I spent almost 10 years working for well, it was. Dotmailer then, but it's you know the Dot Digital Group now. And um, when when I wound up there, I really quickly started you know, looking for my next gig and and talking to a lot of people and was having some really great conversations. And we got really far down, kind of the talking about roles and responsibilities and and compensation packages. And and I uh, went away for the weekend with my wife and had this epiphany that it was. I sort of came, had just come out of this long-term relationship I mean that's kind of what I felt like I felt like I'd just broken up with a, a long-term uh, girlfriend <laughs> having been at you know dot, digital for nine years helping grow it from a 12 million market cap to uh, and I think it was like a 250 million market cap when I left and so I I freaked out a little bit and I, you know I called everybody on the on the Monday and I said, look uh, I want I want to slow down on these conversations. You know, it's not you; it's me, and it really is me. Um, And explain the situation, and wh- the kind of the feedback I got from s- some of the people i had been talking with was, "Oh, thank you," because they had been looking at, "Yeah, we we need somebody; we need somebody like this," but they were looking at the finances, and they're like, "This is going to be a stretch, right? This is this this is going to put us in a bit of a bind," and. The fact that I was willing to say, no, 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 let's, let's, okay, let's not do five days a week, let's do two days a week and, you know, scale back the compensation accordingly. You know, everybody would kind of had a sigh of relief. And it, it turned out to be one of those sort of, uh, I, I thought it was, I was going to shoot myself in the foot. And actually, it, it turned out great.
1: Well, before we started recording, you said that you kind of redefined the role and, and, and kind of expanded on that. So, do you want to, for the benefit of our listeners, do you want to walk us through what, you know what you would what you typically do as a fractional CMO. So for 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 businesses that are looking at scaling and they don't have a, a CMO now, they they probably have a marketing person or it might even be the the owner doing the marketing. You know what does that engagement look like? Okay, yeah, I can do that. But I want if I can,
0: I'm going to take a step back for a second because one of the things that it's taken me a while to kind of define and get clear in my mind and then get, be able to explain to people. Is what a fractional CMO isn't. Okay, that's a that's a good place to start. So, I'm not a consultant. I'm not a freelancer. I'm not a contractor. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those three kinds of roles, but you know, consultants they tend to come in on a specific project, they deliver on the project, and and then they go right. And I, I've done that on and off for the last 25 years, and, and I kind of wanted to see one of the challenges with that for me personally was you do the project, you give the advice, and because the client maybe doesn't want to pay for the follow-up you don't get a chance to see if it worked in in any kind of depth and if it's not working you don't get any, a chance to kind of adjust it and and massage it and and optimize it and all those kinds of things I, I really kind of wanted to see if i was full of crap so i didn't want to be a consultant i wanted to stick around for the results <laughs> and see see what's happening yeah. freelancers tend to you know they come in and they do some heavy lifting or they're very craft based right you get a freelance copywriter or a freelance designer and those roles are, are really useful and everybody needs them. I'm, I'm hiring a couple at the moment, but they tend to be very transient because they come in, they work on that, that white paper, or they come in, they work on that design project or whatever the heavy lifting is. Maybe it's some data analysis and, and then they leave. And, you know, I used to work in the agency world as, as you did, you know, every Thursday we figured out how many freelancers we needed to start on Monday. And we'd start making calls. Now, a lot of our freelancers, because they were very good, they would get called week after week after week after week but it wasn't guaranteed and you see that in other areas right you know an an uber driver is effectively a freelancer their brief is get me home yeah (laughs) i'm not really fussed which uber driver it is it's just as long as it's an uber driver and he's got enough stars that you know my version of the app picks gets him to pick me up (laughs) and then and then the third thing is the contractors right now i haven't lived in the us for almost 20 years so i'm not Super familiar with the contracting space there, but over here they they tent you know they come in for a specific contract and, and um, it's usually longer than a freelancer because you, you need consistency, but it's for a you know a predefined period of time so in the UK it's really common you get a contractor in for say a maternity replacement so somebody's going to go off a of maternity leave they can be gone for up to 12 months you want somebody that can kind of hold down the fort for 12 months. Not really expected to grow it, not really expected to make it better, just mostly expected to keep it from breaking. So I didn't want to be any of those, any of those things. So the, you know, fractional CMO, I'm a member of the team. I've got, you know, a company ID, I've got my, my key fob, I've got an email address. I, I've i started making a bit of a point about making sure I go through like the staff induction. And just to give you an a, a silly example of how integrated I am, uh, one of the companies I work for does this thing where the CEO takes everybody whose birthday it is that month to breakfast. My birthday is in December, so I got to go to the December birthday breakfast, and, and the company buys a couple of gifts for each each person whose birthday it is, and I got, I got some birthday gifts. So, you know, I'm I'm
1: properly part of that team. That's cool. I mean, I mean, it's interesting the way that you describe those because I, I never heard, you know, I never looked at the the terms of engagement, you know, kind of for each of those roles in this way before.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, and, and all those roles are really important. So I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that if you're doing one of those roles where you classify yourself in one of those roles that you need to change and you need to become a fractional whatever you do. Uh, just for me, those three labels just did, didn't really fit with what
1: I wanted to do with my life. Is there an example that you can share with us where, you, where you've where you come in? Because obviously, you know, as companies, like you said, are growing and scaling that they, they need somebody with kind of your expertise to take them to the next level. So I'm, I'm assuming that it's going to have a pretty major impact when they go from, you know, without that expertise to now they've got um, somebody who can deliver that expertise.
0: Yeah, well, that's the hope. <laughs> the hope is there's a lot of impact anyway. So the companies that I've been working for tend to be startup going to scale up. They're on that that pivot point, and they need a, a marketing professional to come in and do one of two things, or maybe even both. They need, you know, they want to go down an investment route, so they need somebody to come in, help refine the proposition and package it up for for an investment, you know, prospectus kind of thing. Or they're going into a growth mode and. Sure. They've been selling, they've been generating revenue and they may even have been generating profit, but what they've been doing is not scalable and they need to totally redefine their marketing approach to, in order to get enough lead gen to scale. So just as an example, uh, I'm working with two companies or for two companies at the moment, uh, one is called the Overmore group. It's a a 10 year old MarTech company, never really done any marketing. In fact, when I first started um, chatting with the CEO, I, I commented that I was really struggling to figure out what they did from their website. And his comment back to me was, well, that's intentional. We don't want anybody to know what we're doing. <laughs> no, I'm like, that's oh, so okay, that's going to make it really hard to <laughs> market up. Yep. We'll, <laughs> we'll get across that. But, you know, I can't I can't fault the man. He's had He had one tiny round of angel investment, but he's, you know, so it's a 10-year-old business, totally bootstrapped and um, he's grown the revenue up to to you know eight digits so tens tens of millions so he's doing something right but again wants to wants to grow and what we're looking at is currently i would describe it as a technology enabled service and what we're trying to do is pivot that to technology with a service so the technology we, you know we're, we're doing a lot more uh, of the percentage of revenues from the tech side not the service side so it was very much about or it is very much about taking this media buying and publishing company that's underpinned by this really cool data logistics technology and flipping that so that the technology is, is kind of paramount. And you know we're selling the technology directly, again, to manage the data logistics for people who are doing their own lead generation. And, and the technology validates, verifies, and vindicates the data. So it makes sure that the data going into your CRM or your sales management tool or whatever it is is accurate it's uh you know it's usable you can market to it straight away Um, and it meets the the brief of what your you know your customer profile is that kind of thing that's cool and uh you know the other company i'm working with is an automated testing platform in the Salesforce and sas environments and you know the their whole thing is people are building applications in those environments and frequently either the business owner is having to do the testing or the developer is having to do the testing. So we offer a technology that that comes in, automates that testing, lets you replicate the testing over and over and over again. And also, you know, so it it shortens, it saves loads of time, especially with your dev team, and it shortens release cycles. But they're looking for that they're fine on the investment side. They're looking for high triple-digit growth over the next three. Um, the next three years and what they've been doing in marketing has again, worked really well, but isn't going to generate that kind of, that kind of growth. You know, they primarily lead gen through events and now they need to cast a much wider net and, and start using a lot, a much wider array of, uh, channels and tactics in order to, to build that pipeline.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I gonna definitely take a look at the, um, the Overmore group. I mean, that's a, that's a space obviously that we work in and, and, uh, clean data is always, um, well, we don't need to see any more <laughs> bad data is bad data. So bad data
0: is, yeah, bad data is it, it, what's interesting is most people, um, not to rabbit hole in not too much, but most people just don't realize how expensive it is. And, and, you know, too often marketers think, well, I'm delivering leads. And sales believes that marketing doesn't know what a lead is. And that friction comes from, you know, marketing delivers a lead, but it's a lead that sales can't do anything with. And instead of sales explaining, we can't do anything with that, they just start to get frustrated. And before long, it's it's sort of like, uh, well, it's kind of like Christmas dinner, really. And, and how's that? Oh, uh, maybe that's, that might be a, a kind of a UK joke. Um, <laughs> it, it, there's just a sort of, this, this sort of belief, especially in, in the current political environment here in the UK that, you know, you get everybody, you get the whole family around for Christmas dinner and somebody will mention Brexit or the election. And the next thing, you know, you have got a shouting match.
1: So yep, yeah, that's what I meant by, by Christmas dinner. Okay. There we go. I got it. Yeah. I mean, we've worked, we've worked on projects in the data that comes in, you know, when we started trying to validate in real time, they're going, well, why would you do that? And saying, well, like 30% of the people that are completing your lead form are putting in a, a bad phone number. So like to your point, I mean, how, how useful is that to to your sales team when they call and it's a disconnect or it's a wrong number?
0: Right. And it, you know, and sometimes that, that wrong number is put in uh, on purpose. So it's a fraudulent number. Yep. Well, fraudulent maybe is a little extreme, but more often than not, you know, people are filling out your form on a phone and you get fat finger syndrome. Yep. And they just reverse two digits.
1: Nope. Yeah, I've done that. Yep, yeah. <laughs> done that with my email as well. I phone a company and say, hey, I never got that whatever you promised. And they said, well, how do you register? I give them the information. They search them and I made a mistake typing in my own email. So bad on my part. Well, and, and what's really a little
0: scary considering you live in Canada and I, well, <laughs> for the next month, I live in Europe with GDPR and, and um, the Canadian privacy laws. You know, as a company, somebody has given you a duff a email address, but that doesn't mean the email address doesn't work. And suddenly you've accidentally started spamming somebody because you've got consent from someone
1: who doesn't own that email address. And all of a sudden you could be in a world of world of hurt. Yeah, absolutely. So question in terms of team integration. So when you go into a company that that's got an existing team, not necessarily a marketing team, you know, what are some of the challenges that you um, that you've faced uh, coming into that that role is that, hey, here's here's Skip. He's the new he's he's going to be our, our our CMO. Any feedback?
0: Yeah. One of the things that I discovered really early on is you, you very quickly start talking in the first person first person plural, if you're a real pedant, you know, it's all about we and us. It's not about you because if you say you, then you, you, you've put up a a verbal barrier between you and the company, you and the person you're talking to. And suddenly they start to think of you as a contractor or a freelancer or a consultant because that's what those folks do, right? They always try to, they try to stay one, one step removed because that's, you know, part of their job. So it's really, it's really important that you go in And you start saying "we" and "us" really quickly, you know. If they've, (laughs) it's little stuff. It's you know, if they've got any kind of swag, and as a CMO, if they've got swag, you're you can pretty much get access to the swag cupboard. Get a T-shirt, get a sticker, get a water bottle, whatever it is that they've got knocking about in the cupboard, because suddenly, you know, that's what they give to to new employees. Like I said, try to go through the new hire induction. Go around in the first couple of days and, and meet everybody. Just like just like you would and I think the other probably obvious one is the first couple of weeks first couple of months whatever that you're with this company because you're only there a couple of days a week it's FaceTime is so important just being in the office you know uh, and just showing your face and one of the challenges that that I have and in, in one of the places where I work is we're cramped right we're, we're, we've outgrown our space and it makes absolutely no sense to give a part-time employee a full-time desk. Right. Yeah. It makes no, no sense at all. And I'm fine with that. But what that means is I sit in a different place every time I go in. So even when I'm in, people don't always know that I'm in. So, you know, even if I don't want a cup of coffee, I get up and, you know, kind of after being there half hour, 45 minutes, I get up and I walk all the way through the office. Cause the kitchen's at the other end. So that to make myself a cup of coffee. So that everybody sees me, Oh, Skip, I wanted to catch up with you today. Where are you sitting today? Do you have some, you know, five minutes? It's that kind of, you know, I know working remotely is all trendy and, and lots of people love it. And I'm, I'm one of those people who loves it. I love that kind of flexibility, but there's nothing to replace FaceTime, uh, you know, FaceTime, not FaceTime and Apple FaceTime, but actually face to FaceTime.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it's funny how that works. I mean, I work I work remote as well, and do lots of Zoom calls as well. So I'll, I'll, I'll opt for a Zoom call before a phone call because at least I can see the person I'm talking to. It's it's one step closer to being face to face for sure. Well, and the other thing is, you know,
0: figure out what what they use to communicate. You know, try to get on the Slack. Try to get on Slack straight away. Try to get on. You know, if they're using Skype or WhatsApp or whatever, try to get on that straight away so that you can you know communicate with everybody and stay in touch with people
1: yeah like you said opposed to trying to put up a barrier and be somewhat somewhat removed so in terms of um clients that you're currently working with what are you most excited about in the next six to 12 months i mean you're 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 off you know doing this new um you know taking this new direction there's lots of stuff changing in the marketplace what i I think what i'm really most
0: excited about over the next three to six months Well, first off As, as I was saying earlier, I, I was with dot digital for nine years. So I spent a lot of time talking about email and multi-channel and it's really cool to be talking about other stuff. It's really cool to be talking about, you know, lead gen and display advertising and search and thinking, you know, putting those, those things in and, you know, it doesn't sound sexy and it doesn't sound cool. Right. And it's not trendy, but for companies that aren't doing any of that sort of thing, it's, Sexy, cool, and trendy. So, uh, Espe- you know, Especially um, when it
1: moves to sales style. That always makes it
0: sexier. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, as much as we like to, to big up marketing and, and, you know, a former colleague loves to say that, ooh, data is sexy. And, you know, I'm a data geek. Data is sexy, but it's not that sexy, right? Sales. Sales are sexy. Cash. Yeah, yeah, cash is sexy. Right, yeah. So, you know, that's what I'm most excited about. I'm most excited about But, you know, it's great is that the two companies I'm working with both have really clear, clearly defined goals about where they want to be over the next, you know, one to three years. And I'm really excited about the opportunity to help both of those achieve those goals. And, and as you alluded to, at some point, we're probably going to, we're going to get to a a point in the relationship where, you know, either they, either I need to join full-time or they need somebody full-time and, and, you know, If it's not the right opportunity for me at that moment you know i'm i'm totally open to helping them recruit vetting the people they want to bring in helping helping with that transition and then you know just quietly kind of sliding away
1: so when you're you know looking at your new role and the way that you've defined it when you're out at a um, a cocktail party and you hear uh, hear a group talking with regards to your your space what's some of the bad advice that you hear oh wow the bad advice there's
0: well Luckily, it's, it's calmed down a little bit, but you know, a year ago, year and a half ago, some of the bad GDPR advice that I was hearing was, was shocking, really, really quite scary. And, and, and what was fascinating about it is like, you know, maybe so many other things in our current lives, it was um, the people giving the advice were so sure they were right that they just wouldn't listen to, to anything else. You know, you could pull out guidance from the DMA or the ICO and they'd be like, nope, my lawyer told me X, Y, Z, and, and they just wouldn't believe anything else. So, you know, I think when it comes to marketing, it's very, very rare that there is a must of anything, you know, very, very frequently it's test it, you know, <laughs> yeah, just test it because yeah. we can now I'm not, I'm not suggesting, and I would never recommend to You know one of my companies that we test a a cutting edge you know consent mechanism (laughs) or or fly too close to the sun on uh you know on on with gdpr stuff because the the penalties are just too stiff but you know there is there is the you got to balance the commercial reality and with the risk and at the end of the day you know especially when it comes to that if you are if you put the customer first you can't go too far wrong so
1: you know yeah, true enough. I mean, it was funny watching the um, castle come into to Canada. I mean, I was speaking at an event in Toronto about uh, customer loyalty and loyalty cards, and it was mainly to uh, bankers and 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 chip manufacturers, Mondex then out of the UK. And the the privacy commissioner was there talking about what was coming for a law. And 10 years later, it showed up. And then I watched, you know, kind of with in horror, the number of people who uh, wanted to go back and re, re-opt in, double opt in all their list. Although clearly the law didn't say you needed to do that. And this basically blew up year's worth of building data. Yeah, same. We, we had the same thing here. Yeah, they were so sure that was the way. And it's like, mm, I wouldn't do that. Well, but like you said, my this is the advice I got. It's like, well, this is your database, and
0: and the, I mean, the classic is I'm not going to name the brand because I think I might get it wrong. But a very large pub chain here in the UK just decided, you know what, we're just not going to do it, and they deleted everything. They just deleted their entire list.
1: Wow, that's an interesting approach.
0: Yeah. Now they also offer free Wi-Fi, so. I don't know if they've started rebuilding the list since then, uh, you know, they, they were the kind of company that had enough footfall that they could get rid of everything, start from scratch and probably be up to as big a list or at least as engaged a list in a couple of months. Right. So for them, it was a little risk.
1: Well, good for them, but yeah, not a strategy I'd recommend.
0: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, you know, I think the, the bad advice that I tend to hear is, you know, people that, are, are very definite and, and start using words like must. And then I think the other, the bad advice, it's not advice. Maybe it's, it's the, it's the flip side. It's, it's when marketers try to justify to non-marketers. So I do a lot of cycling and I have this one friend, Andy, and Andy and I go cycling, you know, and it's like, you know, we leave at seven o'clock on a Saturday morning and we'll go out for four or five hours. And, and he is not, a marketer. He's not, a, he's a photographer uh, for a living. So he is, uh, he's kind of my every, every person consumer. And, you know, we got to talking about GDPR and we, we talk about digital advertising and search and, and all that kind of stuff. And he, he sort of that, he, he grounds me because he's that person that, you know, sort of that average, again, that average consumer that, it, you know, he genuinely believes that if he mentions something and his phone is near him, he will get a Facebook ad with that item.
1: <laughs> I, I hear that all the time. It's so funny. It's like, I was talking about this and then I then I went on the internet and I was getting all these ads that are listening to me. It's like, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And you no, know,
0: so I was, we were at a party and it wasn't Andy involved, it was somebody else, but a couple of markers, a couple of us marketers. And it was one of those kind of, it was a party, but it, it wasn't a group of friends. It was for like a school Christmas parents thing. Yep. And um, somebody said that, and this marketer just launched in with why that wasn't true and and, and all this stuff. And I, I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm not going to get involved because you're just digging <laughs> such a deep hole. yeah, and, and, and by the end of the conversation, the consumer, the non-marketer was like, okay, so let me get, let me get this straight. My phone is not listening to me, but Google is actually in my head and the marketer was like yes i'm like well you've just killed the internet for that person <laughs> that's funny
1: funny not funny oh man yeah yeah definitely funny not funny yeah so um looking forward what do you see uh, what do you see coming down the 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 pipe in terms of your work as a fractional cmo i mean i i've never seen um I hadn't seen that role before. I mean, I understand now that you've explained the the differences, how that makes sense. Do you think we're going to see a, more of a trend to having fractional, you know, high-performing people come into companies? I think so. I think we are. It's funny. I, I
0: had to be in the States back in October. So I did a couple of days swing through New York just to kind of reconnect with some folks and met up with a guy who's doing fractional. He's a fractional CRO, basically, or head of sales. Yeah. And I should be... uh you know in the interest of full disclosure i didn't actually come up with the term fractional cmo i have liberated it from ryan phelan uh, with his permission
1: <laughs> is he but collecting
0: I, a royalty I, on that or i, I hope not <laughs> Uh, I know you've had him on before, so I ho- if he's a regular listener, I can I can imagine that I'm going to get you know pinged. Oh hey, where's my check? Well, I guess we're going to find out whether he's a regular listener, are not we? We will, <laughs> we will. A um, little Easter egg there. <laughs> so yeah, I think we will start to see more fractional fractional people for a wide variety of reasons. One, you know, the nature of business is changing, and there are a lot of small companies, a lot more small companies, and you know, if you look at any of the kind of the Western economies, or at least the U S and the UK, the vast majority of GDP growth and the vast majority of job growth and wealth creation is all done through small business. So there's definitely going to be a need. And the other thing is it's great. I mean, from, from my perspective, it's great. The flexibility is fantastic. You know, as I said, I'm a cyclist. If on a Friday morning, if there's, if the weather's beautiful, I'll just go out for a ride. You know, I might not have a meeting, but if it's supposed to be just a desk day, at, you know, a work at home day, I'll yep. go out for a ride. Now, I know I got to make those four hours up some other time. I got to make them up over the weekend. I got to make them up on, on Saturday or evenings or whatever. But that flexibility is, is really great. And the other thing that kind of all of my, friends and family have have said to me over the last, you know, six months since I've kind of gotten this, this figured out is that, you know, I seem to have achieved a much more relaxed work-life balance because again, I've got that flexibility and, you know, probably not filling, doing what we talked about at the very start of the, of the show of, you know, filling in time, which means that, you know, I end up having more work to do. Uh, Then I can squeeze into eight hours and then, you know, you start to feel the pressure and then, then you've got to go to the, the, your, your kids thing at school and you're like, I can't, I can't take, I can't take a morning off. And, you know, all those things build on each other and eventually it all comes to, you know, this kind of horrible, you know, pressure point.
1: It's funny because I've had a number of people that they've interviewed me asked about um, how how do I deal with the kind of the st- work life balance and the stress of work, and I said you're probably not going to like my answer. I said, but you know, I so I I train at the gym, the CrossFit box, a couple times a week. I go to an o- Olympic weightlifting class once a week, and then so if the weather is nice and I feel stuck. And I just, I know my performance is is slowing or my mind's wandering. I just put on my hiking boots and I guess go go for a hike for a couple hours. It just clears my head. I come back. I feel better, more productive. And like you said, you've got the flexibility to to work, you know, work the evening or the, or the weekend if you have to. And, you know, now that we've got grandkids, it's when the grandkids come over. It's the middle of the day. It's like, am I on a deadline? No. Okay, fine. They're here. You know, I don't know how long they're going to always come over and visit. So let's go just shut off the computer and go hang out with the kids. Yeah. Interestingly, I started working
0: on a keynote that's sort of not really marketing related, just to, as a thought exercise, probably more than anything, but but it, I'm getting some traction with it. And it's around the, the the title is Work-Life Balance is Unachievable. Stop trying for it. And w- what I talk about, and it, you know, I totally appreciate that this is not available to everybody, but it is, I think, important that you ha- start to have these kind of conversations with your employer if you're a, you know, a full-time employee, is you know you don't need me in most roles you don't need me between nine and five you need me because i'm generating an output especially in our industry yeah i um, sure there, there are people in account management or customer success that have to be there to answer the phones and i get that but the same person doesn't have to answer the phone for the, that client every time right it could be as long as the client gets the question answered they don't really care who answers the phone and so the way i like to think about it is if i'm Going out for a cycle on a Friday morning, I'm not skiving off, which is a very English phrase. I'm not being lazy. I'm not, you know, shirking work, because I know I got to make that time up. And by the same token, if I'm checking emails at 10 o'clock at night or I'm working on a client project at 10 o'clock at night, I shouldn't feel that I've failed uh, in any kind of way. What I've done is I've repositioned the work to a time that suits me. And actually, I am much higher energy late in the day than I am in the morning. So if I'm working on something that requires, you know, concentration and a lot of thought, I'm going to do a much better job, much more quickly if I started at like eight o'clock at night. Well, maybe not eight, but like six o'clock at night than I am if I'm, you know, you've got me chained to a desk at nine in the morning.
1: Sure. And part of that's, you know, like you said, part of that's understanding you're when you're most productive. So I tell people, I try to work at my peak productivity time. So it's just taken a while to figure out what what are those times. And, and, and you know, that's where I can be most focused and get the work done. A friend of mine seems we're giving credit to people for terms. Thomas Schwab came up with the definition. He says work-life integration. So the balance thing's not going to happen, but it's how do you integrate what you're doing for work uh, with the rest of your life? That's funny. I I
0: That's the term I use as well.
1: So I'll have to check the show notes to make sure that I give the right credit um, as well. So just a couple more questions, and we'll let you get back to uh, what you're doing for your day. And that is, what is the what is the engagement look like? So for our listeners that are going, hey, you know, I'm at a stage where I really could use somebody who wants to be part of the team, like longer term, not not the not a five minute answer and then and then leave. Someone who wants to stick around and see the results through. What does that engagement look like when they get started? So what I like to do is.
0: Again, it, you, you've got to be flexible. It, it the key to being a fractional CMO and and hiring a fractional CMO or a fractional anything, I think is is flexibility and communication. If I say I'm going to be with you on all day on Tuesday, I'm, my intention is that I'm going to be with you all day on Tuesday. But if you know sometimes you just can't move that half hour phone call or that hour phone call or that meeting, that for another one of your companies. So. You know i'm open honest transparent i've got to do this other thing i'll be as unobtrusive as possible i'll go find a quiet place in the office or i'll go down to the starbucks or whatever you're not paying for that time somebody else is paying for that time so don't worry about that and then so it's all about you know that kind of flexibility they they need to be flexible i need to be flexible and then communication and i think the other key point before we get into actually what the nuts and bolts of the engagement look like is that as a fractional anything Yeah. Okay. I'm not with company A on Tuesday, but that doesn't mean I'm not checking my emails for company A because just like every other senior executive at the company, they're not in the office every day and they won't respond to emails immediately when they come in, but they get back to those emails on on a daily basis. So it's really important that you stay on top of the emails, you stay on top of Slack. You know, And even if you say, Hey, I'll get back to you tomorrow, Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, that's good enough, right? Because I'm going to be in the office tomorrow. Uh, if they need, if it's an emergency, they'll say, "No, sorry, it's an emergency." And you deal with it, and and, and you you crack on. So, in terms of uh, what the engagement looks like, it really, again, it, it is down to a lot of uh, a lot of being flexible, and you know, so figuring out first and foremost where is the company right now. You know, do they have the fundamentals in place? Do they have the building blocks uh, in place that you can build off of? So, what have they been doing? getting a clear understanding of what, how they've been doing their marketing, if they've been doing any marketing at all, understanding what their goals and objectives are, you know, for the next year, for the next, you know, three year, five year window, whatever that is. And and so understanding what kind of growth you need to be facilitating. And then, you know, do they have some of the other bits and pieces in place? Do they understand what an ideal customer looks like? that, you know, so we can use that to start to segment and start to target the data we're going after. Do they have personas so that once we understand who who it is in our pipeline and what role they play in the overall procurement process, are we delivering content to them that's written in a way that is appropriate for them, but also yeah. really is answering their questions? It's, it's, it's nuts and bolts marketing, really. But it's really easy to kind of jump in at the answer and be like oh what you need to do is right you need to do let's 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 write some content let's do a content syndication program and you know maybe we'll back up some of that content with a couple of video video pieces so we can hit people on linkedin and we can hit people you know on multiple channels and and that'll be great and but without those building blocks in place you'll 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 do better you'll do okay but you know you, it's not going to be optimal you're not going to you're not going to smash it And then once we figured out what that is, it's build the, build the strategy, put the plan together, get the board or the CEO or whoever it is to sign off on the budget and start to execute.
1: That makes sense. And, uh, you know, um I'm, I'm thinking, you know, listeners, that this is a this is a, obviously a you know a two way street. I mean, you're you're really interviewing somebody, but uh, instead of as a full time employee, you're interviewing them as part of your team, you know, for a fractional level. So you're going to probably go through same the same steps that you would if you're going to bring somebody on, you know, as a as a full time CMO.
0: Absolutely, and and actually, it's unlikely you would interview somebody who had a full time mindset that would take a fractional role, unless. Yep you know, you've got a brand that is so obviously going to become a unicorn and you're throwing shares at them, but you know, having a a fractional mindset is quite important because it it is somebody has to be quite, quite focused and quite, you know, we need to do this, this, and this, and we're going to do it in these steps. And, you know, somebody, I, I try to be very clear with companies that I'm talking to who are thinking about going down this route and saying, you know, telling them what the expectations are. You know here's what you can expect from me here's what i'm going to deliver but i'm only here two days a week and so in those two days a week this is what we're going to have to i'm going to have to have access to these people so that we can deliver on what we need to deliver on and on the days that i'm not here the team has to be self-motivated enough that they can they can crack on with things but also um the organization has to too often senior level people in organizations are deflectors so, you know, I've, I've, been, uh, I've seen companies where a large part of the, you know, the CMO's role or the C whatever's role or the director role or whatever VP role, whatever the job title is, it doesn't matter. That senior level person is yep. they filter requests from other parts of the organization so that the team doesn't get distracted. So one of the things that, you know, I'm really clear about, especially with the senior level people, the CEO in particular, because a lot of companies I go to work uh, with, you know, the CEO is the founder, probably the majority shareholder, if not the sole shareholder, and, you know, rightly used to kind of getting their own way. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm the one that has to say, okay, now on days I'm not here, I've told the team, if you come directly to them, they're they're <laughs> supposed to ping me. Um, yeah, that's funny. we're going to, we're all going to have a much better life if you just yeah. go through me first, right? Cause if you don't blow everything up. Yeah. yeah. Cause it could be something like, oh, I, the, I've asked the designer to do this, you know, quick little chart. Yeah. But they're a designer and that they're going to spend a lot of time in that quick little chart, which means they're not going to be designing these five other things that we have to get done. So it's, it's all about, you know, focused priorities and reminding people. And, and you know, you, you shouldn't, as a junior level person, you shouldn't be expected to uh, kind of front up to the CEO and be like, well, sorry, uh, I know you're the boss and pay me and, you know, own the company, but actually I'm going to do this other thing because I think it's more important. That's, that's yeah, un- skip that's set to,
1: to ignore your request because I have more important things to do.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to getting fired. <laughs> absolutely. Even uh, if you're that's right, fun. that's a great way to get fired. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure. So a uh, couple of questions, I'll let you I'll, I'll let you go serve your clients. So, uh, question, uh, who's uh, one guest that I absolutely have to have on my podcast? Okay, so I've I overachieved. I know you you wrote a list, so if you want, if you want to, want to I, be an overachiever, have, go ahead. I have overachieved a
0: little bit. So one of the people that we were talking about before we started recording, who is doing some really interesting stuff in uh, – In AI is uh, Perry Mom from Frazee. Uh, You'll love him. He's Canadian. He's actually, I think, he's from Vancouver, but he's living over here now. And Frazee's just doing some really interesting stuff with using AI to write subject lines, write Facebook ads, that kind of thing. Cool. The uh, other uh, two people. uh, The first first guy is a, a gentleman by the name of Riaz Kanani, who's the CEO and founder of a company called Radiate. And what they're doing is some non-cookie based ad serving uh, for B two B companies, and so it's not cookie based. So you know you're, you're, whatever happens in GDPR with cookies, and that's it's going to be messy. You know you don't have to worry about that with with these guys, but because they're using sort of IP filtering for their what they're serving up, they they're making some crazy crazy CPM bids. So you you get right to the top of the of the list. But because you're getting so little traffic, because you're defining which IPs you want to see your ad, your cost as a B2B advertiser is minimal. So if you're doing any kind of, you know, ABM approach, this is a great, great add into that. And then the last person on my list uh, is another fellow podcaster, a guy called Jeremy Waite, who hosts the 10 Words podcast. But he's also an AI Type person. He works for IBM. He's the chief a chief customer officer at IBM IX, and he's also a climate reality leader. So with uh, the climate reality project, you know Al Gore's climate change initiative, and um, he's working with clients in the utility sector with you know using AI and Internet of Things and blockchain to deliver not only climate change but also better customer experiences. So all three of those guys are all very interesting.
1: Well, that's amazing. So you you are an overachiever. That question stumps most of my guests. So you definitely blew it up, blew them out of the water. So you'll, you'll get the, uh, the 2019 award for the most, uh, the best guest recommendation. Oh, awesome.
0: Well, I, I did cheat a little bit because, um, I actually, I was listening to a previous episode. It was probably the first one I listened to after we, after we kind of connected and, and booked this and the person recommended, uh, Lauren McDonald. And yes. I was like, Crap, that's who I would have recommended. Um, So then I panicked. And and so, yeah, it's
1: sort of, I overachieved. Well, I knew, I I knew Lauren, but like I connect with him years ago. There was a, a, it was an email. I can't remember what it was called now. Not email that pays. It was email labs. Yeah. Email labs. Yeah. So I was a, I was a user of email labs years and years and years ago. That's when I first met him. Lauren and I've been uh, friends
0: for a long time. In fact, a couple of years ago, this is all gonna sound very name droppy, but a couple of years ago, his daughter Erin uh was doing a work placement with Della Quist at Alchemy Works. And um she lived in my spare room. Wow. So that's um, funny. Yeah. And um a story for another time, but actually I, the question you can ask him when you get him on the on the podcast, asked him how ask him how I um changed his wardrobe forever.
1: <laughs> okay i will i will ask him that uh that's good so most important question of the day um how can our listeners track you down connect with you what's the best way well
0: uh, i'm on linkedin uh the only skip Fedora on linkedin email is a interesting space because there are actually three skips in email i i don't usually run into other skips in my life and then there's me and, and two others there in the States, but uh, Skip Fedora at LinkedIn, or you can go to skipfedora.live, which is my website. Uh, right now, it's kind of focused on the speaking stuff, but uh, over the Christmas break, I will be adding the f- some information about the fractional CMO stuff to that.
1: Excellent. Yeah, I, I have had a chance to look through your website and I see your smiling face up there under a dot mail or a summit uh, picture on the homepage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I, it was
0: probably one of the, Coolest things that I was able to be part of at uh, when I was at Dot Digital
1: was the, the launch of the summit. Well, that's really cool, and I am familiar with Della's tool. I've been testing his uh, subject line uh, testing tool with the with the AI as well. It's interesting to see uh, how that world's changing.
0: It's amazing. It's amazing, and it, it, what's quite interesting is you know Della's got a very different approach to what Perry's doing with Frazzy, and it, it just the uh, coming at it from different directions is 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 a bit fascinating.
1: Yeah. The world's sure moving that way. It's 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 funny. I mean, looking at all the stuff on Facebook and the AI and Facebook and the ability now for machines to generate, you know, hundred versions of an ad and test it, opposed to a designer testing one or two. Well, and what you're ending up with is, you know,
0: uh, on the, in that space is, is really, it's a version of portfolio theory, right? So if you, if you didn't, if you do a straight up AB test, you've got a, a one in two chance of failing. But if you, you if you can do five versions, you know, you've got twenty percent will be super successful. Twenty percent will fail. Yeah. If you do ten versions, so it it really does. It's it's just like how you manage your stock portfolio. The more
1: versions you have, the more you diversify the risk. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to say thanks so much. I really appreciate you taking time. I uh, love this conversation. Uh, love what you are doing. I think it's I think it's brilliant. I uh, love to support you however we can. So I just want to say thanks for taking time and sharing with our audience. Doug, thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. So there you go listeners, this is another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast and hopefully this has stretched your mind a bit to look at where your company is and if you're in that place where you need to stretch and grow and don't have resources for a full-time key individual, here's an opportunity to work part-time with a uh, fractional CMO. So thanks again, uh, Skip, for uh, sharing with our audience and listeners. We'll make sure we get these notes uh, transcribed. We'll make sure there's links to uh, Skip's website and his LinkedIn page. So thanks for tuning in and we look forward to serving you on our next episode. That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting dougmorneau.com
0: and downloading our advanced marketing white papers, as well as exclusive resources
1: based on today's episode. That's DougMorneau.com. Until next time, we look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.